We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Good day. What's the difference between a bear market and a correction? This might be the week that you learn for the first time if you're new to investing. It might be next month. It might be in 10 years. It's worth knowing. Correction of 10% feels like, ah, shucks, everything doesn't win. You actually have to be good at this over a long period of time to produce positive results. A bear market, you feel like it's stacked against you, like you're never going to win. Traditional wisdom is that a correction is 10% down from recent highs. Bear market, decline of 20%. Recession, pulling back 20, uh, doing negative GDP growth for two quarters in a row on a year-over-year basis. They happen. I like recessions. I want to go back to 2000, 2001, 2002 give you a great perspective of where, how much I learned that I loved recessions. 2000, 2001, I moved to the Bay Area. You do the math how many years ago that was, right? 20, roughly. So I'm a younger man. I'm in my 30s and dating, single and ready to mingle. Left a long-term relationship on the East Coast, took off for the West Coast. Um, Got here and it was incredibly uber, uber aggressive as far as the dating scene goes. You go into the marina, Safeway, and every person there was six foot five, male and female. You go to restaurants and every, every inch of the bar is packed. Young people throwing money left, throwing money right. You find someone to fall in love with and you look at their wardrobe and you go, man, you spend a lot of money on everything from your underwear to your hats, to your shoes. Wow. It was like dating in Camelot. It was a golden age, a golden era of dating. And I felt like I was the schlub. When I had worked my whole life to get a six-figure salary, these guys were coming out of college. They were cranking those men and women out of college and giving them six-figure salaries. So it was a little intimidating being a 30-something in a world of 20-somethings, in a world of everyone's fit and everyone has money and everyone has style. You try to get a restaurant reservation the week of, good luck. You're eating at McDonald's maybe. Um, so you changed your plans. You would eat late or start early. One of the two, right? And then the recession hits, the tech recession, the tech bomb, and jobs get wiped out. Working at Yahoo, working at Google, working at, uh, there wasn't a Facebook yet. There was an Excite, there was an at home. 
there was, you know, uh, the, the infancy of the internet, which some of it's last, some of it has not. They needed bodies. <clears throat> Anyone who came out of college was considered a body and would work long hours. The internet was, was born on people who worked long hours. But as soon as people had to start being fired from Webvan or Pets.com, suddenly I was a little more attractive my salary. Suddenly I was a little bit more consistent in my financial services job. <clears throat> suddenly the restaurants started to thin. And even, though, even they became like, you come to us instead of we go to you and beg to get in. So it was a lot easier. It was um, the excesses, the apartment rents, the cost of a home went down because people left the Bay Area. It was a big technology correction, big technology recession. Stocks fell 80% of the NASDAQ, 80%. Right now we're down 10%. But what it did was it killed the excesses. When I first got to the Bay Area 20 years ago, it took an hour and a half to drive from San Francisco to San Jose. Because I'm in the financial services media industry, I did a lot of seminars and you do them all over the Bay Area. Suddenly, I was able to drive to San Jose in 45 minutes. There was no traffic. There wasn't that three o'clock traffic. There wasn't that noon traffic. There was a little bit of Golden Gate Bridge in the morning, Bay Bridge in the afternoon, but nothing terrible. So a correction is like a cold. It's temporary. In fact, it's normal and ironically healthy part of a bull market. It's like getting your hair clipped so it can grow longer. Corrections generally happen every couple of years. A recent one lasted from the summer of 2015 through February of 2016. We haven't really gotten a lot. In February of 2018, the Dow Jones Industrial Average briefly dipped into correction territory before writing itself the next day. Now, bear markets are exponentially worse than, say, a correction. Corrections can be caused by any negative event that sparks selling. It could be the Federal Reserve report. It can be jobs numbers. It can be higher than expected inflation. Whereas a bear market is a downturn that is longer and is caused typically by a recession, a real contraction in the economy. Bear markets usually come with more repercussions. The Great Recession was a prolonged, particularly painful bear market. The federal government pulled out all the stops. They did TARP. I'm sure you've forgotten that one. Toxic Asset Repurchase Plan. Bailouts, fiscal stimulus, low interest rates, you name it. Our government threw everything we could at it. 2006, 2008, right? Think back to the Great Depression. It's widely agreed upon that Smoot-Hawley tariffs, a protectionist policy that raised tariffs on 20,000 products, made the stock market crash worse. More recently, the dot-com bubble and the mortgage delinquencies were key contributors to bear markets. So you're looking for excesses. It's something that can only go up. Beware, 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 beware. When the stock market is only going up and you see companies like Robinhood promote, eh, I'm not going to say they promote it, but meme stocks being created out of AMC and GameStop, which should not have gone up. They were rightfully left for dead if the industry had just done its own little thing. But when you get kids involved and they get excited, 
it's a bad sign. It's a bad sign when everyone can be a winner and even losers can be winners. It's important to be prepared for market downturns. Best way to prepare is to have some cash or liquid cash equivalents like bonds, short-term bonds in this case particularly. But I don't really talk a lot of bonds on this show. One of the reasons why is I think they're particularly tough for people to digest and understand. Bond is a government IOU. A treasury is a government IOU. You give them money, they give you a return. The beauty about our government is we typically pay our debts on time. If you were to ask me for a sign of let's go to the mountains and get a gun and a blow-up doll and maybe some TNT, if you were to say, here's your doomsday scenario, part of it would have to do with that very same thing that I just talked about, where you, you feel you can't protect yourself. You have no cash. Stocks feel very, very volatile. The stock market has correctly predicted 12 of the last seven recessions, which is the gag joke ongoing. Bear markets and crashes don't tend to tell us much. They're not identical. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. If you need a financial referral to a financial planner, let me know. I got some of the best in the business behind me. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. I see that Italy has reelected an 80-year-old president. Italy is an old-school European part of the world, right? When you think of Italy, you think of world explorers, you think of food, you think of Rome. I think of not the cradle of civilization, but next to the cradle of civilization. An 80-year-old president. What can I tell you about my 80-year-old relatives? I feel they're out of touch. I feel they do stupid stuff like, say, at a grocery store. Can I touch your hair to a person of different color? Like they get fascinated with things that they shouldn't be fascinated with. It bothers me. I don't get political all too often. If I do, here's where it's going to sound kind of crazy. I don't mind being governed by 35 to 55 year olds. And I understand JFK at 35 felt really, really young. But 80 year olds, if this is a bad president, because how many of us could say anything about our 80 year old relatives that was positive? That's like, yeah, they're, he's getting around great, going up and down steps easily. Very rarely is my answer. So that's the only thing I feel about politics is that it's too much of a career and people stay around for too long. And then they become our screaming grandmother or our screaming grandfather. And I just don't think it's the right way to govern society. It bothers me. And it bothers me in large part uh, to the point of that's my political shtick. Talk about inflation retirement. Or no, no, no. Let's, let's keep talking about the bear market angle that we had in the first segment. Bank of America curated a bear market signpost list for clients to help gauge when we might be getting close to a bear market. In the past, when more than 80% of indicators triggered, a bear market has occurred. A bear market, again, is when we're 20% from recent highs. 
trying to time the market can be dangerous, but a list can help you feel like, oh, this is exactly where we are. I understand this territory. Now, keep in mind the most wealth I've created in the world. I used to say in a funny ha-ha kind of way was anytime Saddam Hussein would invade Iraq. He would do that. Oil would get spooked. Markets would drop 5, 10, 15, 20%. I would sneak in knowing like, I bet he's going to pull right back out. He's going to interrupt us war occurrences. He's going to, he's going to like, get in for a couple of days, show the world that he's powerful and get out. That's why I think that's what Putin's going to do in the Ukraine. I've seen this before. Little teeny tiny dictators with ego problems want to flex. Now, again, Putin's a little bit more than Hussein was, but I used to make a lot of money because he, he regularly invaded Iraq. So you're looking for events, again, where you can make money, take advantage of, disconnects from the economy. A recession is typically tied a little bit more to the economy. Well, it is tied to the economy. Two negative quarters in a row of GDP. But bear markets are, are tied towards the economy, usually. Listen, here's a list of things, according to Bank of America, indicators that we might be hitting a bear market. Federal Reserve raising interest rates. Is that a yes or no? I think that's a yes. Tightening credit conditions. Is it easier to get a loan or tougher to get a loan? Our Congress made it difficult when we had our crisis in the mortgage market. By the lenders were starting to tighten standards. You might remember getting a mortgage in your life where you're like, wow, they went crazy on me. They, they did an IRS check on me. They asked for five years of taxes. They asked for three pages of taxes. They asked for um, asset. Like you're like, okay, I remember a loan once where they're like, they held a mirror to my mouth. And if I breathed on it, I, I got the mortgage. There used to be what are called liar loans in 2000, the early 2000s, where mortgage lenders were like, so how much do you make? <clears throat> and you'd say 150,000. And they're like, when I ask you that again, you're going to say 200,000 because that's the income we need to get you through. Now, I'm not, I'm hype. I'm obviously exaggerating. But loan standards do differ over times, periods. And liar loans were bad. Um, That's when the lenders want to get money out to keep the system flush and moving. And they take on too much credit risk. When they tighten the credit conditions, it's a lot tougher to get a loan and it slows down the process. And they really check to make sure you have what you say you have and that you can service what you say you can service. Number three on Bank of America's list of bear market indicators is minimum returns in the last 12 months of the market have been at least 11%. Yeah, we were up 20% last year in the, in the stock market. So yeah, we've hit, I would say number one and number three, tightening credit conditions. No, no. That one is one we won't know until there's more of a trend involved because it's not there yet. Number four on the list, minimum returns in the last 24 months of a bull market have been 30%. Uh, We satisfy that one as well. So that's three, definitely three out of four. Number five, low quality stocks outperform high quality stocks over six months. I don't have the data to support that other than to say, let's take a look at AMC. Let's take a look at Peloton. 
let's take a look at some of these stocks that have massively underperformed. Now, this is over the last six months, whereas the Pelotons and the, um, how shall we say, the COVID plays, the pure COVID plays, that's been, they've been correcting over the last 12 to 16 months now, not just the last six where they up. But we had that period where there were moonshots and then they hit their correction. So maybe we're in the latter stages of this one. Or maybe we've already satisfied it. Momentum stocks outperforming over six to 12 months. I think you could say that Google, Facebook, um, uh, Apple last year all had some outperformance. And when you have the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 both up 20% for the year, that's a bad side. Number six, momentum stocks outperform. Number seven, growth stocks outperform. Yes. Number eight, 5% pullback in stocks over the last year. We're at a 10%. So we're hitting a lot of these, aren't we? Now, six months ago, we'd say that stocks with low PE ratios are underperforming. Conference boards, consumer confidence levels not hit 100 within 24 months. Now, that's not true. Conference boards percentage. So some of these were not hitting quite right. So you can see why some analysts are saying, oh, we're definitely going to go into bear market. And some analysts are saying, no, we're not. If there's a change in long-term growth expectations, if you hear analysts start saying, you know, we just came through 10% growth for 10 years. Now we're going to go through 6% growth for 10 years. The trailing PEs are high. They're above 20. That's a sign of a bear market. Earning estimate revisions rules, we're not really seeing that. Earnings revisions are a little bit of a problem. Not so much of a problem on Wall Street at this point in time because of the way we played COVID with crazy amount of savings. So I don't think we're 100% leaning in towards a bull market, a bear, mar- uh, a bear market. But there's signs, right? Just be aware of it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. An education first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. This is Rob Black. Thank you for listening to my podcast, The Rob Black Show. If you're looking for a certified financial planner or getting ready for retirement, contact me at rob at robblackshow.com. I can get you in touch with a certified financial planner from EP Wealth. Contact me, rob at robblackshow.com. That's rob at robblackshow.com. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. One of the things that I try to talk about heavily is getting to retirement. 20 years ago, my focus on the show was beating the markets. It was things like I can beat Warren Buffett or I can beat Garrett Van Wagner. You put that portfolio manager in front of me and my company and my investment choices are going to beat him. As I've aged, I've tempered this to, I want to get you to retirement, beg, steal, or borrow. And yeah, I still want to beat the markets, but it's no longer my thesis or my primary thesis. It's a tertiary thesis or thesis. 
one of the reasons this is dynamic and not static is inflation. And if you've been investing for five, 10 years, you haven't thought about inflation. This is my second big run through my investment career with inflation. I probably had a run through with inflation when I was under 18, but I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was a kid. So I think by it's all said and done in my 40, 50 years of playing with the stock markets, I'm not there yet, but by the time I hit 40 or 50 years, I'll probably have another bout of inflation to deal with. And you know what? It's normal and it's healthy. We don't always grow at the perfect rate. You don't always run 10 miles with a seven minute pace the whole time. Sometimes you're jumping to nine or dropping to nine. Sometimes you're jumping to six. Sometimes you're finishing strong. Sometimes you're barely getting there. Okay. So inflation and retirement is something I've come to terms with in the last few weeks as far as a topic to talk about on air. And I didn't really have the wherewithal to say this, this incredibly stupid thing that I'm about to say. When I was 18, I thought I needed a million dollars to retire. Then I fell in love and I had a better career than her. And I was like, I'm going to need 2 million. Then I made some babies. I'm like, I'm going to need almost 4 million. Now keep in mind if the average American, and this is not the average American, but if you make $100,000 a year for 10 years, that's a million dollars. You do it for 40 years or 40 years, you made $4 million. So you can start saying where, Rob, if that's what you make, it's going to take every penny that you save to get that kind of cash. Every penny that I earned turned into every penny. But no, stock market gives you 7 to 10%. It inflates over time. That's good inflation, right? Bad inflation is cost of living. Boo. And that's why my 4 million is probably like 6 million now. And I'm just using very, very rough numbers, which would drive an accountant or a financial planner crazy because that's the problem is we use way too rough of numbers. I'm swelling it too big to make it make sense to you. I don't know what your financial commitments are going to be to your spouse. I don't know what they are going to be your children. I know what they are for me. And I'd like to get in the neighborhood or the zip code of where I should be. That's inflation to me. Let me give you an example of inflation at its worst. It's all over everything right now. From theme parks to movie theaters to museums, the price of admission is rising. From gas prices to car prices to used car prices, everything's getting out of control. Whoever's president of the United States during inflation tends to get hung with that. We hung inflation on Jimmy Carter and we turned him into the worst president ever until Biden comes along and we may say, well, we're going to hang inflation on you, even though a lot of the external factors and what caused inflation, neither Carter or Biden created. But the scapegoat's obvious. Always success or failure always starts at the top. It's an unfortunate thing that sometimes presidents can walk into other people's scenarios. I think Clinton walked into George Bush the first where the economy went bad because we had just invaded Kuwait and people got nervous. So first couple months of Clinton's administration, it started to recover fast because we're no longer at war. It was that stress was removed. So it's like he walked into a good situation. The people walk into bad situations. 
um, after a stock market that's up for 10 years, you're going to be in a bad situation of keep it going, buddy. And they tend not to keep going. Gas prices are up 58% over the past year. And that's just to get where to where you want to go. Restaurants, which have been under pressure since the very start of the pandemic, are charging more for meals to combat ongoing staffing challenges and higher food costs. Most have raised wages to attract workers on top of paying more for ingredients. And that means menu prices look a little bit different now. I had a friend, and it's just, it's just a reminder of how funny it is, of what inflation means. Gina once freaked out at a restaurant when she saw that chicken Parmesan was 20 bucks. She's like, I'm not paying 20 bucks for chicken Parmesan. That was her boiling point. Like for me, it's a $50 steak. That's a different game. When you go for like $35 steak, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Then you see the $45 steak and you're like, that better be good. And you see the 50, you're like, "Mm, I think I'm gonna go for the chicken. It's when the price point becomes too much. And that actually kills inflation, which is interesting. But we'll talk about that later. The cost of eating out is up 6% over the last year. That's the highest jump since 1982. Cost of eating at home rose even faster, though. A trip to the movie still costs roughly the same as it did before the pandemic, at just under $10 a person. Maybe it's the best deal around because it hasn't seen inflation because they haven't been able to pack the seats up. If sports are your thing, the average NBA and NHL ticket costs $94 a seat. Um, if you go to playoff games, $154 a seat. In the secondary market, those prices are up 28%. Concerts are up about 45%. In the secondary market, I know this to be true. I've picked up two concerts in the last two and a half years, of which both have more than the last two months. And they were the most expensive tickets I've ever paid for. I think there's maybe some cha- examples where I was like in front row or, you know, no, no. Okay. So music's your thing or not your thing. You like going to museums Well, museum of modern art in New York. It houses some of the world's largest collections. It's a really, really cute place to go. You're seeing a big jump of about 50% cost in going to see some of the greatest art in the world. Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth and Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento raised ticket prices by 50%. I know you're saying the Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento, the Modern Museum of Art in Fort Worth. You know what I like about like a Fort Worth or a San Jose Museum of Modern Art is you get to see some artists that are going to go up in value. That the person who's getting the art for, how shall we say, San Jose, smaller market versus San Francisco or a market in Texas versus New York, whereas the art's going to be more sophisticated, historically speaking, in New York. But yeah, if you have you know, maybe $10, $15 million and you're looking for alternative investments, you can buy an up-and-coming modern artist. And then you just hope that they die, and then you hope that you're right. I don't know if that makes any sense, that their art is worth something. And that they're in poor health. So what I'm looking for are people who are pro, uh, who've done great, who've got a lot of praise, who've been in the Houston Museum of Modern Art, who've been in the San Jose Museum of Modern Art, who have not been in New York or San Francisco's MoMA. 
going to amusement parks are up almost a hundred percent in the United States. Now, again, I'm not going to get too much into this and try to figure out the math of it's, Oh, they have to clean everything. Oh, they have to, I'm not getting into that, but Dollywood in Tennessee, Sesame place in Pennsylvania, Santa's village, all seeing prices increases of 22, 29 and 50%. So inflation is the boogeyman of retirement. But it's also the boogeyman of the everyday person. And all of these numbers that we're seeing as far as cost of gas, cost of cars, cost of used cars, cost of food, cost of eating out, cost of eating in, they're all growing faster than wages. So in the end, the wealthy who own stocks, which are growing faster than wages, and the wealthy who own real estate, which are growing faster than wages, they can keep up with inflation a lot easier than the average person. That's why you hate inflation, and that's how the story is rampantly told. We're paying more for everything this year, including things like Amazon Prime and Netflix, right? It's pervasive, and that's when it's problematic, and that's when it ruins presidencies. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm not spooked. I just know where we've been, and I know where we're going. Patience is the key. Having cash is important. Being non-emotional is wise. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. Need a referral to a financial planner? Drop me an email, Rob at RobBlackShow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Correction, 10% from the hot top. Bear market, 20%. And I came up with some of the usual stuff, signposts that we're looking for that we're in a bear market. Bear markets can last a lot longer than a correction. They can remind people that you're not always going to be at all-time highs and that it's tick tough, tougher than it looks trickier. One of the things I, I jotted down is we kind of mess our kids up as children. What do we give them when they're one-year-old, two-year-olds? Teddy bears. Oh, look, your teddy bear. He's safety. He's so good for you. Mr. Teddy, going to help you go to Betty Bye. Kids grow up thinking teddy bears are cute. Flash forward 20 years, you're on a camping trip and you see a bear and you want to go hug it. It's the wrong thing to do, but it's the exact right thing to do when you're 20 years old and you're hitting your first bear market. The big regret that I have, and I asked CFP Chad Burton in recordings last week, it's one of the biggest regrets that you have as an investor is not buying more when things were bad, not buying more when things were in a bear market, not buying more when things were down. Huh? Well said. I talked in the first hour about how Saddam Hussein used to create a lot of wealth for me. You know what the truth is? Anytime I've bought during a correction or bear market, I've done way better with that investment than I did when I bought at a market top. Just percentage-wise, it's true. It's math. It doesn't scare me. It calms me down. Now, this correction... The NASDAQ has actually been a bear market for a lot of stocks like Spotify and Netflix that are off over 20% from their all-time highs. They both have issues, but they both have a subscription service that hits hundreds of millions of people. And they have the ability to grow that. Now, Netflix has a higher cost structure model than, say, Spotify does. Spotify doesn't share a lot of their money with the artist. 
Whereas Netflix has to spend a lot in order to get content. Spotify is not wildly profitable. They have one competitor in my mind, Apple iTunes. I've never seen Google's music numbers, but let's just say that's the reason why probably, right? But in the world of media, we can sometimes see things like Roku and Spotify and Netflix, and it can get kind of convoluted in our head. But if you want to see a bear market, take a look at the stock of Netflix and take a look at Spotify. And if you want to know what works on Wall Street of the long term, subscriptions are enamored. I would consider those stocks based on their all-time highs. Yeah, we were saying crazy stuff about the valuations then and justifying them. But when you see a stock down 50% from its all-time high, and it's got that subscription model, it's still there. It's one that I'm looking into. Not going to do anything. But as a technology investor, I've always been enamored with companies that can hit scales of a billion, a billion people worldwide. Netflix can't get there just on television content alone. They're going to have to do some gaming or some other entrance into it. Would a Netflix-Spotify combination be awesome? It really, really would. It would actually compete much better against a company like an Apple. Is it going to happen? I don't think so. But could it? It would be a nice vertical for sure. Okay, so moving forward on the big problem with inflation right now, what the Fed can do about it, what the Fed can't do about it. I think the biggest problem is the housing market. And I think it's wishful thinking if you think the Federal Reserve can work their way out of it or our government can. I think it's in the hands of the people, the realtors, the mortgage lenders, people with high expectations, people with low expectations. The Fed's influence over the housing market since it's launched its emergency bond buying program, it's there but I think it's pushing on a string. Some 762,000 new homes were sold at an average price of $453,700 in the year 2021. The equivalent of the new home market last year was an extra 36% in the size of financings. The specter of higher interest rates is not positive on housing. We need more inventory that's not coming fast enough. And the inventory that the home builders are putting out there are seeing big spikes of inflation, raw materials like wood and lumber, concrete. You're seeing a lot of homes have the concrete poured and they're waiting to put the frame up because of the cost of labor and because of the cost of lumber. Mountains and mountains of money has been raised to invest in the housing markets. Three or four rate increases won't stop that. Home price appreciation is going to slow from 2021's toward pace, but there's investment dollars waiting to buy homes for the foreseeable future. And that's going to keep pressure on inflation. There's no signs in the ground of easing supply chain issues. Analysts generally are expecting about 9% price growth in homes this year. That's still about 
double the 5% historic nationwide number that we're comfortable with. Historically, bonds beat stocks and historically stocks beat, I'm sorry, historically bonds beat homes, price appreciation, and historically stocks beat bonds. And it goes 10%, 6%, 5%. With that said, what are we predicting here? I don't know. I can just tell you that there's not enough homes out there and home prices are going to continue to go higher and it's going to cause inflation and there's nothing the Fed can do about it. They can't get a hammer. They can't get wood. They can't build homes. And that's one of the problems where it's unrealistic in our economy. What housing is doing to the average person who can't get into a home and has to rent. And the rental markets, geez, have you seen rental prices? It's tough out there in shelter. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Have a question? Reach out at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com.